Oh, hi. Thanks for hitting play on the Melbourne Digest podcast. What an absolute legend you are. But enough of me saying lots of good things about you and time for more food chat. Now cue that jazzy intro music. Surely you know the hot jam donut van at Queen Vic Market, right? Smells good, tastes delicious, warms your hands. You know the one. If you don't, you're either new here, living under a rock, or lying, because the American Donut Kitchen has been at the market for over 70 years now. We're on the third generation of the same family running this Melbourne icon. Now, do you want to hear from someone from, let's say, the second generation? You say yes? Okay, here we go. My name is Julie from the American Donut Kitchen. This is Julie. Her father started the van back in 1950, and boy, does she have some stories to tell. But before that, to get the ball rolling, I asked her about her favourite comfort food, and then we launched right in. Take it away, Julie. I would have to say chocolate is high on my list. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both, Julie. All right, Julie. So... I think pretty much everyone in Melbourne knows American Donut Kitchen because it's such an iconic business. It's in Queen Vic Market. We were talking earlier for many years. It was going to the footy as well. It used to travel around Victoria. It's something a lot of people do know. But for anyone, I guess, that's maybe not familiar with the American Donut Kitchen, can you just tell me what it is and what you create? Well... I guess we create the most delicious, freshly made daily scrumptious donuts that so many people like. People love it. But they are definitely scrumptious. It, mm. It's amazing how many people say that and how many people you just talk to in general. I try not to mention it. You, know, you sort of get, oh, yes, you know, you don't want to live, breathe it 24-7. But if people find out, they're sort of, oh, my goodness, you know. My girlfriend, she often says to people, oh, I know the owners of them. And they go, oh, do you real? People are obsessed with them. And I think as well, we were chatting and you were saying that it's almost like this meeting spot in the market as well. It's just so iconic that people say, I'll meet you there. And Yes, it is. I think because it's something that's, well, not because of us really. I think because it's something that's unique and it's easy for people to find and they follow the smell because the smell does draw you (laughs) to it. (laughs) And Julie, your father started this business. He did. In 1950s? He started with his friend um, that he went to school with. They were offered the, the business from someone else who wanted to sell it and they took it on not knowing anything about it, what they were doing, but they gave it a good shot. And this fellow, I understand, I think he was of the belief that they would not um, survive and continue with the business, but they did. Yeah, little did they know 70 years later, they're still going strong. Yes, I I find that hard to comprehend myself, you know, 70 years. It sort of is mind-boggling to me. And I think if my father were alive today, he would be absolutely astounded. I don't think it would, would have entered his mind that it would have evolved into something like this. 
it wasn't necessarily his bread and butter, for want of a better word. Like we were saying, he had a woodyard initially. Well, they, they did. That's what they did together. They had um, a property up in Steeles Creek and they used to chop wood down and bring it down. And then they, you know, because in those days people needed wood for their wood fires and their stoves and things. So that's what they used to do. And then this opportunity came along and they thought they would try for that. But, I mean, Dad certainly put his heart and soul into it. Even when my father was ill, I I didn't even think I didn't have what was going to happen until it got near the end of his life. And then I, I think I went into a bit of a panic and and I thought to myself, I think he, he thinks I'm going to take over from him here, but I hadn't really sort of thought about what was going to happen. And I, I clearly remember saying to him, well, it was a Friday and it was the last time he went Oh, he couldn't drive. He was so weak at that time. It was a beautiful day. And I said to him, you really should stay home, Dad. He, no, I want to get out and see the blue sky and the fresh air. And so he came with me and we went to the factory and he had a walking stick to help him. You know, and he was able to walk around. And I watched him just walk around the factory and he sort of, he was taking everything in. And I now believe that he knew that was his last time he would ever be there. And that was probably something, you know, heartfelt for him. And then we went to the market and he didn't have the strength to get up the step to get into the front of the cabin to get in there. So one of the guys brought out a, a bucket, um, a, a jam bucket or a flower bucket or something, put it outside so he could sit there. He was so weak, but he just wanted to be there that last time. Now, on that drive home, I... I really wanted, I don't think I wanted to accept the fact I knew my father was dying. That was what it was. But I had to get that courage up to say, what do you think, you know, what's going to happen? And I didn't know what to say. And that was what I said. We were almost home. And I said, what's going to happen? And he obviously knew what I meant. And he said, you'll be fine. He didn't say another thing to me. And I didn't know what to say. And then, you know, Monday morning, he was gone. So I don't think I wanted to. I think being a bit older now, I probably would have approached it differently. So muddled through for a little while after he'd gone, but we got there. Still going. Still going. I mean, whatever you did to muddle through, you did it well because it's only continued to grow. And I think he must be, honestly, if he could see it today, he must be blowing away. It's still here, still going and still popular. I I believe he would. I, I really think he would be, you know, just so proud of all of us that have kept it going. I think he would be, yes, if, if you could bring him back now, I think he'd be very proud. And now it's continuing on with Belinda, your daughter. Yes, it is. Um, And she's very passionate about it. So that is wonderful. But, you know, people say businesses don't very often pass, you know, the second generation. Sometimes they do to the third, some go further. But And I guess in those early days, it sounded like you worked hard. I mean, not only were you selling from the market, you were travelling to places, you were going to the football. It just was crazy. It was. I mean, a lot of family members worked. I came my mum's side, big family, so everyone was roped in to work at some stage or another. 
different places we worked. You know, the foot, we didn't only do the, the MCG, we did Carlton Football Ground, we did Essendon Football Ground, the exhibition buildings. You know, we sold donuts um, during the day and the evening and weekends. Um, that was another thing, you know, that went on through the year. And then, of course, he did all the agricultural shows and we travelled around to some of the country shows, which was really lovely. The family has always been in this business and I almost feel like it wouldn't have grown to how big it was if you didn't have everyone pitching in. I mean, I think you were starting to work there when you were, what, 12 years old? I was 12, yes. Yeah. I, was, I, I was in year seven, form one in those days. Dad just took me to work on the Saturday and there I was, you know, working away. It was just something you did. I never yeah. thought I'd end up doing it. I didn't give it a thought, you know. Julie, can you give us a bit of a rundown of the process of how you make these donuts? Because I think it's really fascinating of when we were chatting that it is still a relatively traditional way of making donuts. Yeah. And you're making well, them fresh every day. They're every still day. cooked in the van. It's, you know, it's very much a non-commercial yeah, setup. Very much so. And look, it starts the day before. And it's weather dependent. So if the weather's going to be really, really hot, you know that you're not going to get many people. So you have to work out, judge, and it is just judging how much dough you're going to mix, how much you're going to need. There's no formula to it. It's like you just pick it up along the way. Sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we're right. <laughs> so therefore we sell out sometimes. You can't predict. And other times you have loads of dough and donuts left over. But that's the way it is. So it, that's what it starts with is the weather. Mm-hmm. And then the process is done by mixing, you know, with machinery now, not a lot, just to mix it, of course. And then it, it has to get to a certain texture and feel to it. You know, it can't be too warm in summer because, you know, then it will, will rise too quickly. And then, of course, in winter, you, you want it a bit warmer because of the cold weather. And so it stays overnight to prove. Some of it will stay in the factory, in big troughs we have. Some of it will be already taken in that day after it's mixed to the van and put into the trough there so that the staff have something to begin with when they get into work. Then the other lot of dough will come in later because they haven't got room for all of it most times. One of the cool things which I think a lot of people love about the van is that you can still see people in there making it I think that is a big attraction because people love to watch production of things. Because you're all hand cutting, you're cooking them, you're rolling them in the sugar. It's quite a manual job. Yes, and I think being able to walk right around the van and see both sides of what's going on is the big attraction. I mean, tourists from overseas just love that. Um, And when my father was alive, he was amazing at Mm -hmm. cutting out donuts he was so quick I mean the speed at which he cut out donuts was just incredible and if you were putting them on the boards next to him you really had to work quickly to do them and you didn't just put them anywhere you had a specific way of doing it so you know he would just pile them up and you just keep putting them on and putting the boards away but and I think people love to watch my dad do it you know and really Since my dad, there's never been anyone that's come close to being able to cut out as quickly as he did. And he was the same with jamming too, jamming the donuts. He was very fast. How do you jam the donuts? Oh, don't you? No. You should. Well, because it's a handmade machine that they designed and, you know, it's got a little nozzle on the end 
and they put the donut on there and they've got a, a handle with a pump. They put the donut onto the end of the nozzle mm-hmm. and pump the jam into it. They have, we have what we call, we call it the jam tray. When the donuts are cooked, they go into the jam tray and they pile up there and then, you know, they get jammed and put into the sugar bowl. None of this mass-produced business happening in no. the American donut kitchen. No, and that's and- why they're not uniform size. That's why they're misshapen at times, but that's what makes them unique, I think. And I remember laughing when we were chatting earlier, Julie, you were telling me the story about having to mix up the yeast as, you know, when you were younger, mixing the yeast with your hands and kind of having this slimy mess. I really do love that it's very much a Melbourne business made in Melbourne, (laughs) literally by the hands of people in Melbourne once upon a time. Yes, if ever I was in the factory with Dad, I always got the job of getting, you know, the big stainless steel, you know, buckets, and it was had a certain amount of water in it, and the blocks of yeast, you'd get that in the water, and you'd just squeeze it through your fingers. A lot of people, yeah, they don't like the sliminess of it, but I didn't mind, but you had to keep doing it until it all dissolved into the water, and then it gave this milky, creamy, oh, not even milky, creamy, more grey colour the yeast. Um, it's not an, a pleasant smell, I must say, but, you know, I enjoy doing that because I don't mind those little mundane tasks that you have to do where people are like, oh, I can't be bothered with that, whereas I'm quite happy to do that and make sure it's done properly. So every little bit had to be done for me. I can um, the yeast from the yeast factory, you know, I used to call into there in South Yarra. I used to go with my dad and uh, then after he passed away, I would go and collect, you know, if we needed yeast, I'd call in there and get it. It was very, um, oh, gosh, old times, you know, they'd write out your receipt, you know, on a little receipt book. But the guys would come in from the, the factory and they'd all have their white coats on and their hats and things. But the smell of that yeast, you know, you knew you were near the yeast factory. It's so bizarre now to think of it like there have been a yeast factory in South Yarra when you look at the South Yarra that exists there today. It was like something from a TV show, an old TV show, where people just sat at their desks and nobody talked. They all had their, you know, writing away, doing whatever. And this lovely lady used to come and, you know, up to the counter and, you know, ask me how much yeast I would require that day. Then she'd, you know, send someone out and they'd go out to the factory and they'd come back with the yeast. So, yes, it's so different to where they do things today. So different. So different. So, I mean, I guess a lot of things have changed in looking at American Donut Kitchen then and American Donut Kitchen now. But one thing that hasn't changed is the vans. You've still got the original vans. We have indeed, (laughs) which is getting very old, needs lots of maintenance. So we have two vans. We switch them over halfway through the year to do maintenance. But, yeah, they're getting very old. They've done a lot of work over the years. So it's hard to, you know, keep them as they were. You know, we have issues from time to time, but we overcome them. <laughs> they're still starting at the moment, which is a bit of a miracle when you think about all the kilometres they've done over the years in travelling to the yes. different shows and even yes. just around Melbourne. Like, they have really travelled. Well, yeah. one of them, they used to use a, um, a crank to start that one, you know, pop it in the front of the engine and, and they would have to wind that up to get it started. That was the way they did it in those days, you know. <laughs> Another thing on the bands, I guess, is we were laughing about this because you used to have to get them started, you know, if they were broken down, that you were telling stories of getting them started with things like pantyhose. Yes, yes. If they broke a fan belt, we'd heard somewhere that, you know, pantyhose would help you know get you through until you got somewhere where you can buy a new fan belt 
And that, that was used one time, I remember quite distinctly. We were travelling to Bendigo to the Easter Fair. <laughs> and often, you know, the things that happened, they would boil a lot. You know, like radiators would boil in those days, so you'd have to pull over and all this steam would come everywhere. It was, yeah, it, was, it sounded like something out of the dark ages, really, <laughs> when I think about it now. Poor old trucks, you know, they were slow. They didn't go very quickly. And thank you, Lucky Stars, when you arrived safely. <laughs> Without any break. <laughs> well, I'm still laughing when you were telling me about the story of, you know, moving from place to place. It wasn't like you were buckled into the van, but, you know, oh, no. you fell into the sugar bowl one time. My mother did, yes, yes, because when we travelled from the market to the football ground, because in those days the market closed at, on Saturdays at 1 o'clock and they used to ring a bell in the market. And they, the market inspector, he would wander around. Once that bell went, every stallholder and trader had to stop selling. You were not allowed to sell after one o'clock. It didn't matter if we weren't going to the football and we had leftover donuts. It didn't matter. It didn't matter if you had customers that were still in the queue. You could not sell after that one o'clock bell. Well, times have changed now. But, of course, in those days, we had enough dough to keep us going, to you know, go to the and this particular day, um, a long-time employee of my dad's, she and my mum and myself were in, in the main body of working part of the van. And because when you travelled, we used to put the bits and pieces that could move into the racks that we could because we had a bar that would go in front of them, would stop the, the boards that were filled with donuts from coming out. And so other things would be put on the floor for travel. And bearing in mind, we didn't go quickly. But this particular day, he had to stop suddenly. And uh, my mother fell backwards and she was sitting into, in the sugar bowl. Well, it was hysterical. And we were laughing so much, three of us, and he didn't know what was going on. And he thought we were just being silly and you know, sort of called out to us and said, what, what are you lot doing back there? Stop. <laughs> mucking around and we were laughing we couldn't even tell him what had happened it was so funny oh, I just I've got this mental image of your poor mum legs akimbo in the sugar bowl as you're veering around a corner my poor mum she got the giggle she got the giggle so you know, really it was so funny really I guess to finish off so many people in Melbourne love your donuts and that's so well known and something that brings real joy to a lot of people. Why do you think it is that people just love your business so much? Oh, I don't, I think they love the product. They just love the donuts. Um, and I think it's, it's tradition for so many people to go to the market and get their donuts to take home or or get them before they go to work in the morning. I think because they're fresh, that's another thing. And years ago, I can remember when the nightclubs would close, early, you know, whatever time we would be working and they would come and they'd want donuts to eat, but they weren't ready. You know, all these drunk and sods from the nightclubs, you know, but we haven't got any ready yet, but that was what they had. We used to get the people, their junior doctors from the Melbourne Hospital, they, they had to take it in terms of junior doctors. On a Sunday morning, if they were rostered on, they, it was their job to call past the market and pick up donuts for the staff in their section. And believe it or not, one of my specialists he was one of those way back then <laughs> that had to do it because he still fondly remembers doing that. 
Well, I can attest as someone brought donuts from your place into our office once and it was about the best day the office has ever seen. Oh. It was so exciting um, yes. to get a little <laughs> delivery. I do get excited about them, really, especially children, you know, and it's, it's heartbreaking when we've sold out and you get someone there with some young children and you saw that and they just, you can see the disappointment on their faces. But somebody, one of the staff members may have had some donuts to take home. And so we would give them those donuts and we'd say to them, look, take these. They would want to pay for them. We'd say, no, 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 take them. They're cold. They've been done earlier. They're cold, you know. We're sorry about that, but they were just, and these children's faces would just light up with delight because they still got their donut. One family, I think there's the four generations. In fact, um, I think we've got a photo of them that they sent, sent us the four, you know, that they've just grown up with going to the market over the years. So, yeah, it becomes tradition. All right, we're coming up to the end. Try to hold back your disappointment. But Julie shared one last story about her dad with me, which I loved but couldn't work out how to jam it in. Excuse the pun. So I'm squeezing it in here just because I want to, which is one small perk of editing your own podcast. Okay, back to Julie. Years ago, he always used to buy a lottery. He won first prize. Someone from a radio station and they went to the market to interview my father and he's saying, well, what are you going to do with the money? And, and Dad said, well, you know, I'm going to put it away. I'm not going to, why aren't you going to spend some? And Dad said, no, no. You know, he was very, you know, not, not wasting anything because he, he grew up poor from a poor family, as most of them did. But it was important to him not to waste things. And because he was working, he spoke to this um, guy from the radio for a little while. And then he, in the midst of the interview, he said, could you please close the door? Because it must have been wintertime and the cold air was coming in because that affects, you know, the donuts rising. And so he asked him to close the door. And then after a while, Dad thought, you know, oh, I've had enough here. So he said to him, oh, I'll have to leave you now. He said, I have to get back to work. And the interviewer said, you seem to be a very shrewd businessman, Mr Bridges. And he said, well, yes, I am. He said it's important, you know, to work. It was just his work ethic, you know, like I don't have time for this sort of thing. You know, <laughs> he, he won the first prize, big deal, you know, move on. Yeah, I've got donuts to make. Got to go. That's it. Is your mouth salivating at the thought of a fresh made jam donut after all that chat? I think it's a sign. Stop what you're doing and head to Queen Vic Market and buy something from the American Donut Kitchen. I'm off. Bye.